This is uh, Jim Fetzer, the conspiracy guy. Given that I've been reporting for months and months and months that there was no Russian hacking, uh, that it was a matter of Seth Rich, the IT guy working for the DNC, getting fed up with sabotaging Bernie Sanders' campaign, giving the treasure trove of DNC emails to Craig Murray, UK ambassador to Uzbekistan, friend of Julian Assange, who would publish them. It's startling to find revelations coming from Shattered, this new book, Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign, by Jonathan Allen and Amy Parsett, who reports that the Clinton campaign hatched the Russian hacking narrative 24 hours after Hillary's loss. That's right. It was hatched by the Clinton campaign 24 hours within Hillary's loss. Get this. The book highlights how Clinton's Russia blame game was a plan hatched by senior campaign staffers John Podesta and Robbie Mook less than 24 hours after she conceded. Quote, that strategy had been set within 24 hours of her concession speech. Mook and Podesta assembled her communications team at the Brooklyn headquarters to engineer the case that the election wasn't entirely on the up and up. For a couple of hours, with Shake Shack containers littering the room, they went over the script they would pitch to the press and the public. Already, Russian hacking was the centerpiece of the argument. The Clinton camp settled on a two-pronged plan, pushing the press to cover how Russian hacking was the major unreported story of the campaign, overshadowed by the contents of the stolen emails in Hillary's own private server in Broglio, while hammering the media for focusing so intently on the investigation into her email, which had created a cloud over her candidacy, the authors wrote. The press botched the email story for 18 months, one person who was part of the strategy is quoted as saying. Comey obviously screwed us, but the press created the story. On a phone call, this is another passage from the book. On a phone call with a longtime friend a couple of days after the election, Hillary was much less accepting of her defeat. She put a fine point on the factor she believed cost her her presidency. The FBI, Comey, the KGB, the old name for Russia's intelligence service, and the KKK, the support Trump got from white nationalists. I'm angry, Hillary told her friend, and exhausted. After two brutal campaigns against Sanders and Trump, Hillary now had to explain the failure to friends in a seemingly endless round of phone calls. That was a taking a toll on her already weary and grief-stricken soul. But mostly she was mad. Mad that she'd lost and that the country would have to endure a Trump presidency. The authors detail how Hillary went out of her way to pass blame for a stunning loss on Comey and Russia. Quote, she wants to make sure all these narratives get spun the right way, a longtime Clinton confidant is quoted as saying. We even have reports, in addition, that John Brennan colluded with the supports to support the story of Russian hacking, including with foreign spies to fabricate the Trump-Russia connection. Uh, nothing surprising there. He was uh, Barack Obama's very tight friend, a convert to Wahhabism when he was the head of the CIA station in Riyadh, where many believe that Barack himself is in fact Muslim. But 
it's not over. We get endless, endless reports still about the Russian hacking. Now the House Intel panel is calling Comey, Clapper, Rogers, Brennan, and Yates to testify about Russia. Get this from, from Zero Hedge. Just when you thought it was over, after Trump tomahawks Putin's palisade and Tillerson trounces Lavrov, and the media have stopped the constant Russia-did-it narrative, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which seems like as big an oxymoron as can occur, has called numerous current and former officials to testify once again on Russians' active measures during the 2016. Remember, there were no active measures. There was no Russian hacking. There was no Russian dossier. That was all fabricated and made up. And we know why Hillary lost. In fact, Michael Moore was predicting in advance she would lose because she had neglected the white working class in the Rust Belt states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And that's exactly how it played out. But Hillary will never accept the blame for anything, no matter how central she may be, to the collapse and failure of the campaign, where other reports explain she wasn't connecting with the voters, that she was distant, that she was self-absorbed, that she wasn't addressing policy but simply relentlessly attacking Trump, whereas the Donald, by contrast, was mixing policy with attacks on Hillary, and most of it for him was a free ride because he was getting massive press coverage. And now we have FBI Director Comey confirms U.S. does not know Russia provided DNC Podesta emails to WikiLeaks. Plowing through the testimony uh, of FBI Director James Comey gave to the House Intelligence Committee on 19 March 2017, uh, I came across an exchange he had with Representative Adam Schiff, which has gone entirely unreported, and the importance of which has been entirely overlooked. The exchange shows that the U.S. Intelligence Committee admits that Russian intelligence did not have direct contact with WikiLeaks and did not pass the stolen Podesta and DNC emails to WikiLeaks. So what's the real news and what's the fake? If you assume that there was Russian hacking, which the media has been playing upon for six months now, six months, endless repetitions of Russian hacking, when it didn't take place. It never happened. It was a fake story from the beginning. Google is now uh, sprinkling new ingredients in its search engine in an effort to prevent bogus information and offensive suggestions from souring its results. Google is targeting fake news and offensive search suggestions. The changes have been in the works for four months, but Google's hadn't publicly discussed most of them until now. The announcement in a blog post Tuesday reflects Google's confidence in a new screening system designed to reduce the chances that its influential search engine will highlight untrue stories about people and events, a phenomenon commonly referred to as fake news. But who's to decide which, which stories are true and which stories are false? If you paid attention to the media, you'd have to, have to take for granted, by virtue of its endless repetition, that there had been Russian hacking, that Russia had interfered with our election, 
that there was this Russian dossier, that Trump was connected to Russia, that Russia made it win for Trump. It was all false. It was all groundless. Many of us have been reporting it since it first arose, that it was indefensible. And we've explained how what really happened took place, which was from Seth Rich to Craig Murray to Julian Assange, both of whom have asserted they know the leaker, they know the source, and Russia had nothing to do with it. It had nothing to do with hacking. It had everything to do with leaking. But the story itself was so embarrassing to the DNC and to Hillary Clinton, they had to suppress it, fabricate it, fake it, make it up. Here's some other stories recently uh, of fake news from the mainstream media. I have written to the Wisconsin State Journal about this, but needless to say, they wouldn't publish it. Here are some stories. Editor, Fumes seem to notice that the mainstream media has been publishing one fake news story after another in its ongoing attempts to undermine the Trump administration. Here's a sampler. Even President Assad of Syria have said that terrorists are hiding among Syrian refugees. Rafael Cruz was with Lee Oswald in New Orleans and with Antonio Vesiana in Dallas. Massive voter fraud was discovered in Michigan during the Jill Stein-inspired recount. Bill Clinton said that Obamacare is crazy. You are paying twice as much for half as much. Rape in Sweden has exploded as a consequence of the massive influx of immigrants. Seth Rich, the IT guy for the DNC, leaked the DNC emails that reached Julian Assange. The Russian dossier was fan fiction made up by a member of the 4chan chat board. Jeff Sessions did not commit perjury, where his response was simply taken out of context. A new study shows that during the first 30 days of the Trump administration, ABC, CBS, and NBC alone broadcast 88 positive stories, but 674 negative stories, most of which were factually false. And of course, they wouldn't even gesture in the direction of the possibility by publishing such a letter. Now, those are all relatively minor stories where the fake news promulgated by the mainstream media has suppressed the alternative news stories even though it is the alternative news that have been reporting the truth and the mainstream that has been faking it. Ponder that. Ponder that. Now Google wants to make sure you're only going to get the mainstream news stories. I mean, after all, ask yourself, how are they going to tell the difference? Does Google have some uh, privileged access to truth? Does Google even have, you know, dozens of a PhD college professors in its employ to do actual research. And bear in mind, even PhDs can get issues wrong if the evidence they're dealing with is, is fabricated or itself contrived and faked. In the, in the assassination of JFK, for example, they faked the backyard photographs of Lee holding the weapon. There were multiple. They all had his face in exactly the same position, although they were taken at different times uh, in the sequence. He himself insisted that was his face pasted on someone else's body. Is that fake news? No, it's absolutely true. I and those with whom I collaborate on JFK research have proven it. 
But what would you get from the mainstream if anyone were to suggest that Lee Oswald did not shoot JFK, which we've been able to prove? Indeed, on the basis of extensive research, I mean of the most meticulous kind, with Ralph Sinkay, uh, Larry Rivera, and, and others, we've been able to establish that Harold Weisberg, among the very first students of the assassination, in his uh, second Whitewash 2 volume on photographic evidence, was right when he said that the Warren Commission was covering up that Lee Oswald was in the doorway of the book depository at the time the motorcade passed by. Even Jim Garrison had drawn the same conclusion. We have been able to prove not only did the man in the doorway, in comparison with the person the Warren Commission claims was standing there, Billy Lovelady, who himself said he thought it was odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier, and incidentally was wearing a red and white vertically striped short sleeve shirt, unlike the long sleeve richly textured and worn shirt on the figure in the doorway, where Billy ironically is actually standing to his left with his hands raised to protect his eyes from the sun, where they obfuscated the photograph so you couldn't see the shirt he was wearing and blacked out his face, had the same height, the same weight, the same build, the same shirt, the same T-shirt as Lee Oswald when he was arrested. This is the reason why they took off the outer shirt and had him photographed for his mug shots wearing only his T-shirt. So the fact that he was wearing the same clothing and looked the same as the man in the doorway would be less obvious to the public unless it were paying acute attention. And now, Larry Rivera has found uh, photographs of both Lee and of Billy Lovelady that he's been able to feed into the image of Doorman in a series of gifts that are absolutely brilliant. And without any doubt, it was Lee Oswald. He fits the man in the doorway to a T, Billy Lovelady, however, has obvious discrepancies. The ears aren't in the right position. The jaw is wrong. The nose isn't right. It clearly was Lee Oswald in the doorway, which is the darkest secret of the, in the history of assassination research. The government doesn't want you to know. What are you going to, do you think you're going to read about this in the mainstream news? You think it's going to be reported by the New York Times or the Washington Post or ABC or CBS or NBC? I mean, the government has been playing us. Remember, remember how William Colby explained to Congress back in 1775 that the agency knowed everyone of significance in the, in, the, in, the, in the major media. Everyone of significance in the major media. Followed by Carl Bernstein's article in Rolling Stone in 1977, the CIA and the media, where... He explained that officials of the agency were boasting their greatest successes had been with Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS. And in that era, anyone who controlled Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS had a lock on the American news media. Today, the situation is much, much worse. That's why you get all the same memes, no matter how phony, no matter how fabricated, such as that there was Russian hacking from the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, 
virtually the only exception that has stood out among all of the major media and cable networks is Fox. And Fox has been under massive attack. They're trying to take it out on multiple grounds as I, uh, an issue to which I shall return. Well, Preston James, who is quite a, a brilliant guy, very knowledgeable about covert activities and a student of the controlled major mass media, has published a new article, uh, uh, Big Stories, the Controlled Major Mass Media Refuses to Report Truthfully. If you watch the Evening National Network News and expect to get the truth about any major event there, you are sadly mistaken. And there is a, 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 a there, there, and actually wasting your time. All you will get there is big lies, false narratives, distortions in U.S. government and major corporate propaganda. He's absolutely got it right. As a growing number of Internet users who read the alternative media websites realize a major mass media is controlled by the CIA and serves establishment cronies who are best described as the ruling cabal. And he gives 10 examples of big stories where the, the truth is known, where far better substantiated, uh, uh, reasoned, and argued conclusions are readily available about the following cases. JFK. Surveys show that 60 to 8, this is now Preston. Surveys show that 60 to 80% of Americans do not accept the story. The CMMN still reports that Oswald did it. Many now understand it was a major coup d'etat by Eisenhower and Nixon by the U.S. military using Op 40 and the CIA, which was started by Eisenhower and Nixon, and that George H.W. Bush ran the op in Dealey Plaza and was there watching. Sadly, the CMMM is still falsely reporting that Oswald did it and was a lone net patsy. The now available evidence on the Internet's alternative media website supporting this assertion is simply overwhelming. 2. RFK. Many now realize that Sir Ansard was an MK Ultra mind-controlled patsies, and there were other shooters and more bullets fired than the 22 revolver he held. Photos show that a number of top CIA covert ops were there, and some of the Op 40 wet boys, so we know for certain it was CIA wet work. And there were far too many bullet holes in the victims, walls and door frames, too many shots heard to be from one gun. Sirhan was in front of him, but Bobby was shot four times from behind, the kill shot from one and a half inches away behind his right ear. MLK. Long-term efforts by well-respected attorney William Pepper proved in court that MLK was assassinated in a U.S. government-backed criminal conspiracy. Of course, the CMMM never carried this story uh, on the headlines or the national news as a prominent story as they ought to have. The U.S. Army had a special team of crack long-distance assassins deployed on a rooftop to shoot if the mafia shooter did not complete the job. The police were told to stand down, and an innocent Patty, Patsy was, of course, ready for exposure. James Earl Ray. Fifth, the first Twin Towers bombing. Another major false flag attack. The FBI set up the blind sheik and insisted he use real explosives that would be disarmed, but, of course, never were, and the drill was taken live. This was, of course, a false flag attack designed to set the stage for the later attack on the Twin Towers on 9-11. This blast was used to record and analyze shockwaves in the Twin Towers for engineering the deployment 
of the many and micro nukes to be used later on 9-11 that were planted in the Twin Towers, one mini each in the basements and one micro for every 10 floors in the elevator shafts all the way to the top of each building. Six, Columbine High School. This was a very sophisticated joint FBI-CI operation using SSRIs, spychiatrists, MKUltra-type mind control. The police and SWAT teams were not allowed to go in for about 40 minutes, which allowed some victims to bleed to death. The excuse for the stand-down was that there were bombs inside. The real reason was that those running the op wanted a big death count to scare the masses as a means of processing the American group mind. Seven, the false flag attack on 9-11. This was a false flag creating a pretext to start more illegal, unconstitutional Middle East wars against Afghanistan and Iraq that had nothing to do with 9-11, nor did either country have any weapons of mass destruction. The attack was basically a Mossad PNC top neocon operation backed by the President of the United States, the Vice President, the Joint Chiefs, leaders of the U.S. Air Force, NORAD, and the FAA. The now available evidence on the Internet's alternative media website supporting this assertion is simply overwhelming. And many Americans, including U.S. military and intel, want these perps fully prosecuted, convicted, and hung by the neck until dead, since this was a foreign-based espionage and a clear-cut capital crime of treason, terrorism, and mass meter murder. Eight, Sandy Hook. A false flag attack on the Second Amendment. Nobody died at Sandy Hook, and there was never a real Adam Lanza at all. The best investigation, he writes was done by Professor James Fetzer in his classic book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. After selling big at Amazon, it was banned. You can download it as a PDF for free here. Sandy Hook was a two-day DHS FEMA capstone op authorized by President Obama, run by Eric Holder, and involved the governor of Connecticut and the Connecticut State Police, as well as the local. A large number of highly paid professional actors were used. This was a CIA Mossad run-up using many connections to the, the Kazarian Mafia. Nine, the Boston Black Powder Puff bombing using professional crisis actors, some with prior reputations, and bag, bags of fake stage blood. The now available evidence on the Internet's alternative media, media website supporting this assertion is simply overwhelming. And it can be easily proved in an honest court of law to a jury that this was a false flag op run by a DHS contractor and nobody died or was even injured. The sad thing is that a patsy, Tamerlan Saranova, was murdered in cold blood by the FBI and his brother, Zoker's life, ruined when both were innocent patsies. 10. The Orlando nightclub. Another false flag attack where nobody died. This, like so many other false flag attacks, either real with some dead victims or those virtually only with no dead victims, all traced back to the Nazi left behind army in Operation Gladio, now a NATO mainstay, using the DVD and Mossad to deploy terror all around the world, often paid for by the Saudis. There have been so many Gladio-style false flag attacks it would fill a small local phone book. Some have been... Uh, 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 the use of small micro-nukes and some using larger mini-nukes, many using conventional high explosives, 
some like the Boston Marathon using harmless black powder puff bombs. All use innocent patsies, and often those patsies are murdered so they cannot talk or stand trial. Sometimes they are so mind-controlled they are unable to know if they did it or not. Now let me say I like this article so well that I republished it on my blog. So if you go to jamesfetzer.blogspot.com, you can find it there with much more amplifying on what's going on and the modus Uh, the motives behind all of these false flag reports. Now, if Google is going to suppress articles that are found to be offensive, what offends one person may not offend another, and what offends someone at one time may not offend them at another time. So it's purely subjective. Get this. Here's another story. Leading French presidential candidate's personal life would be scandalous in the States. As France goes through their contentious presidential election. Americans are being treated to stories about the candidates that barely make the French blink what would be on the news every night in the United States. Today on Pure Oplica, Mike Oplica discusses the leading candidate in polls, 39-year-old Emmanuel Macron and his 64-year-old wife. While there's nothing inherently wrong with a December-May romance, uh, Bridget Trugano was married and had three children when she met Macron, who at the time was her 16-year-old student. By the time he was 17, he had promised her he would marry her. Other versions of their tale give their first kiss when Macron was only 15. And that's the leading candidate against Marie Le Pen, uh, where, you know, we complain about Russian... Fake Russian interference in our election. Well, here's real American interference in the election. Obama, that's right, Barack Obama uh, interfered in the French election by calling Macron to tell him to, uh, good luck, which they claim was not an endorsement, which is, of course, a blatant lie. How ridiculous. We have Israel's president on Monday denouncing French far-right presidential candidate Marie Le Pen's Recent comments denying France's role in the Holocaust as uniquely disturbing and urge his country not to make unholy alliances with rising nationalist parties in Europe. President Reuven Rivlin spoke at a ceremony marking Israel's Holocaust Memorial Day that was attended by former German President Joachim Gauck. He called on Israel to wage a war against a current and dangerous wave of Holocaust denial rising in Europe. Le Pen drew condemnation from other presidential candidates and Israel's foreign minister when she suggested earlier this month that France wasn't responsible for its role in rounding up French Jews for deportation to Nazi Germany's death camps. Well, that's all very fascinating, unless you've actually done some homework, unless you actually know, as I've reported before in many places, that those weren't death camps, those were labor camps that the total number who died in all the camps, according to the International Committee for the Red Cross, who kept meticulous records on the age, race, sex, religion, ethnicity, and cause of death of all of those who died, was a total, which they recalibrated in 1993, was 296,081, none of whom died from being put to death in gas chambers. Uh, they were using Zyklon B to, de- de- to kill body lice, 
which was responsible for the spread of, of, of typhus and dysentery in the camps, in other words, in order to maintain the inmates' health, because you can't get work out of a corpse. More Catholics and Jews died at Auschwitz. Hundreds of babies were born there. There was a hospital with OBYGYN facilities, a concert hall, a woodworking shop, and more. Get real. Get a grip. If you want to understand history, you have to do some research. The information is available, but you're not going to get it from the mainstream. And if you want a perfect example of what I and many other Americans regard as not merely offensive, but truly obscene news, U.S. test fires ICBM traveling 4,000 miles across the South Pacific in an evident effort to intimidate the leader of North Korea. Uh, Indeed, today, the entire U.S. Senate is going to the White House for a North Korean briefing. Top Trump administration officials will hold a rare briefing on Wednesday at the White House for the entire U.S. Senate on the situation in North Korea. Senior Senate aide said on Monday, all 100 senators have been asked to the White House for the briefing by Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Secretary of Defense Jim Mathis, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coates, and Central and General Joseph Dunford, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the aide said. While top administration officials routinely travel to Capitol Hill to address members of Congress on foreign policy and national security, it's unusual for the entire 100-member Senate to go to such an event at the White House and for those top four officials to be involved. That is truly obscene information taking place right now, today, albeit. Right. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, proved that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th, going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you're interested in the book described by Dr. James H. Fetzer, then contact me. My name is Gary King. I live in New Orleans, and my number is 504-298-6791 if you'd like to come by the bookstore, or you can go online at patriotradiobooks.com. That's patriotradiobooks.com. Here's more news that the mainstream is not reporting in relation to the situation with North Korea. Panic buying hits Japan ahead of possible war. Nuke shelters, air purifiers, anti-radiation supplies are flying off the shelves. And why? Why would that be taking place? Uh, Get this. U.S. Navy aims to sink its radioactive warships off of Korea. If none of the other stories I report bother you, this one ought to. Mayoshi Shimatsu, exclusive to rents. The silver lining to the fog of war is that hostile acts of destruction enable the military to order new weapon systems. The self-inflicted sabotage of the battleship Maine 
rallied the American public to build new steamships to capture Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines from Spanish control. The sinking of the USS Arizona at Pearl Harbor sparked the biggest naval expansion in world history. Human lives are merely a part of the price, as put by the beat poet Allen Ginsberg, war is good for business, invest your son. Today, the greatest threat confronting the U.S. Navy does not come from Russia, China, or even the outlands of North Korea, but arises from the Fukushima nuclear disaster in spring 2011. Six years of continuous radioactive releases into the atmosphere and the Pacific Ocean have seriously contaminated dozens of American naval vessels and their personnel. At least 16 warships and 70,000 servicemen by the Navy's own count. Based on closer examination of naval records of voyages, the total number is at least double that rather low official estimate. The Pentagon is now facing a hard choice to scrap its radioactive fleet and dump the mess at Hanford nuclear site and inside veterans' hospitals, or arrange a naval war to sink the lethal vessels and their human cargo in foreign waters. Considering the rising costs of health care, and burden of student loans, American taxpayers are in no mood to finance the scrapping of supercarriers and missile destroyers and paying to build replacement vessels. The only way to rally the public to trade in their paltry savings accounts for armaments procurement is the outbreak of war with a supremely evil enemy. The three, uh, three U.S. Navy supercarrier strike forces Strike groups are now headed for the Sea of Japan, a narrow 1,000 kilometers at the widest point enclosed body of water. There in its calm, dark waters, a dozen big ships, along with some 130 naval jets and dozens of helicopters, will be parked like ducks in a row inside a shooting gallery. If the North Koreans hesitate to open fire for obvious reasons of national survival and common sense, there is a backup team of shooters, namely the Maritime Self-Defense Force of Japan. A volley of Mitsubishi anti-ship missiles should do the job of sinking the U.S. 7th Fleet and drowning the American sailors. The news media will assign the blame on Pongyang for the dastardly deed. The Second Korean War will ensue, leaving millions dead from explosions and smoke, and in the chaos and fright, nobody will notice the treacherous charade that sparked the brutal massacre of friends and foe alike. Donald Trump has promised a huge increase in defense spending for new equipment, so the Navy will not be rendered toothless. Half of its carriers and destroyers are now dangerously radioactive, but if current policy holds, these damaged goods will soon be sold off as scrap metal to South Korea and Taiwanese shipyards, eliminating any residual evidence of high treason. Shinzo Abe and Trump will emerge as victors over totalitarianism, much as Stalin and Roosevelt at Yalta. Since the media applause will be thunderous, drowning out any and all critics, I am compelled to quietly write this near-term history in advance. In addition, we have uh, a, a, a United Nations a research group reporting that the risk of accidental nuclear war is growing, that comes as no surprise. So if you're not reading it in the mainstream media, does that mean what I'm reporting to you is fake news and what you're hearing from the mainstream is not? 
Here's further substantiation that everything you've been hearing about the chemical gas attack in Syria is fraudulent, fake, made up. James Perliff, quite a brilliant guy, has published Trump is Unmasked, 14 Reasons Why the Syria Airstrikes Were a Really Bad Idea. In Brief Compass, the article is well worth reading online. Trump contradicted himself 100%. His tweets drawing the, following the 2013 alleged sarin gas attack revealed a different man, the non-interventionist we hoped we were voting for, too. Trump skirted the U.S. Constitution, which he swore to uphold in his inaugural oath. Remember, Rand Paul was reminding him he had to consult with Congress before taking any military action, which, of course, he did not. Three, Trump acted with impetuous haste, not waiting for adjudication of the facts, undoubtedly because the facts would not have sustained the claim, the, the predicate on which he was acting. Fourth, the United States was not attacked, the U.S. military's purpose is to defend America. Its mission is not, go, uh, is not to go around the planet, kick ass, punish people the president doesn't like, or right other countries' wrongs, real or imagined. We have enough problems to handle here at home. Trump knows this well. His campaign was largely based upon that message. Five, the chemical agents, agents could not have been sarin gas. We saw... You know, responders there on the scene treating the victims with bare hands. Sarin gas would be transmitted through the skin, through the skin, and killed them. So I mean, it, it wasn't sarin gas. Whatever it may have been, it was not sarin. Six investigative journal Seymour Hirsch had already determined that when Assad was previously accused of using sarin gas, it was a false flag orchestrated by anti-Assad forces to provoke U.S. intervention. Seven, in 2013, Britain's Daily Mail reported, and here's the headline, U.S. backed plan to launch chemical weapon attack on Syria and blame it on Assad's regime. Leaked email from defense contractor refers to chemical weapons saying the idea was approved by Washington. Obama issued warning to Syrian President Bashir al-Assad last month that use of chemical warfare was totally unacceptable. Eight, Assad had no motive to use chemical weapons on his people. The Syrian military, with Russia's help, had recently won a major victory in Aleppo over the terrorists. This war has been going on for years, and during that time, Assad has never once deployed chemical weapons on the battlefield. Why then, on the brink of final victory, would he suddenly decide to wantonly use them against civilians? Knowing full well this would invite military intervention from the West, when determining the perpetrators of a crime, the crucial question is who benefited? ISIS and Al-Qaeda benefited, and I would add Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the United States as well. Nine, immediately after the U.S. strike on Sayrat Air Base, ISIS launched a new offensive in the neighboring region. Thus, for all practical purposes, Trump launched a flank attack in support of Islamic extremists, the very forces he came to power vowing to oppose. Ten, if Syria was really storing chemical weapons at the targeted air base, then attacking it with missiles made absolutely no sense. Think about it. Supposedly, Trump was reacting to reports that civilians were killed by chemical weapons. Yet if the air base stockpiled such weapons... 
than U.S. missiles striking those depots would have released the chemicals into the atmosphere, killing more civilians. One does not dismantle weapons of mass destruction by exploding them. This means one of two things. Either, first, Trump's military advisors are remarkably inept, or second, more likely, his advisors were fully aware the air base housed no chemical weapons. Eleven, Trump is now keeping bad company. Hours before the airstrikes, Hillary Clinton said the U.S. should take out Syrian airfields. Trump is suddenly sounding like America's most hated neocons, John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Some think it's not coincidental that McCain had recently visited Syria. Most of us who voted for Trump hoped he would end the nonstop Middle East wars carried on by Bush and Obama. Instead, he has put his foot on the accelerator. Furthermore, the mainstream press, which had been attacking Trump daily like pit bulls before and after the election, suddenly transformed. On April 9th, I watched CNN's anchor and commentator speaking with hushed reverence about Trump. I thought, do I have the right channel? Is this really CNN? They declared how Trump's airstrikes had restored America's respect throughout the world. I don't have that specific footage, but there are many clips available. I don't know if MSM's honeymoon with Trump will last, but clearly the powers that be flipped a switch. I tentatively conclude that one of the motives for the completely unproven Russia hack the election claims was to pressure Trump until he acted in a way that decisively clashed with Russia. Twelve, Trump displayed a hypocritical double standard on human rights. The president said he was motivated to attack because beautiful babies had been murdered. Yet for two years, America's ally, Saudi Arabia, has been bombing the civilian population of its neighbor, Yemen. It has even rained down bombs provided by the U.S. and other Western nations on hospitals, airports, weddings, and funerals. Thirteen, the attack has drawn us toward World War III. Syria, of course, is Russia's ally. The more deeply Trump involves the U.S. and Syria, the greater the possibility of an incident involving a clash between American and Russian forces. Many times in history, an incident has hurled America into full-scale war, sinking of the Maine, sinking of the Lusitania, the Tonkin Gulf incident, and so on. Do I have to explain that nuclear war has no winners? Trump should heed his own advice from 2013. Stay out of Syria and fix the broken USA. 14. The attack's timing. As I have noted in previous posts, the year 2017 includes a number of anniversaries with significance to the Zionist deep state. 50th anniversary of Zionist seizure of Jerusalem. 50th anniversary of attack on USS Liberty. 100th anniversary of Balfour Declaration. 100th anniversary of Bolshevik Revolution. 100th anniversary of U.S. being deceived into World War I. 100th anniversary of Schofield Reference Bible birth, which gave birth to Christian Zionism. 300th anniversary of First Freemasonic Grand Lodge. 500th anniversary of Catholic-Protestant split, divide and conquer. So what has been going on here? Uh, we know in addition, leaked documents show Google contractors suppressed alternative media Google confirms where it's now going massive with it explaining how it's seeking to suppress uh, fake news and offensive links. I mean, 
believe me, this is monstrous. This is a suppression of our freedom of inquiry, our freedom of communication, our freedom of critical exchange. Uh, Google has no privilege access to truth. The only way to find it is to study alternative hypotheses and theories, uh, I- examining the available evidence, and as new evidence arrives, revising our views where we may reject hypotheses we previously accepted, accept hypotheses we previously rejected, and leave others in suspense. Uh, Google is suppressing our right to free exchange to discover the truth, because believe me, Google doesn't have it. In addition, we have reports also not receiving widespread publicity. Chemtrail cough is sweeping the nation. Death by respiratory disease has skyrocketed. Have you noticed that everyone around you is congested and coughing? I'm calling this new syndrome chemical cough. My wife is coughing, I am coughing, and now even our dogs are coughing. In just four years, death by respiratory disease has skyrocketed from eighth in the world to third and possibly even second. There's good reason to believe that something is very, very bad and very, very serious going on with the chemtrails phenomenon, which is an operation of the American government. Many believe, as this article suggests, it's a deliberate attempt to, to promote the death of the vast majority of the American population. And if that doesn't bother you, I cannot imagine what would. Dr. Eowyn, who who is a retired PhD professor, has reported that the U.S. government has engaged in weather modification since 1953. Not a conspiracy theory, but a fact. A recent article in New York Times Magazine of April 18, 2017, asked if it's okay to tinker with the environment to fight climate change. Tinkering with the environment is another way of saying weather modification. The NYT article by John Gertner describes Harvard professor David Keith's proposal of a continuous solar engineering project to slow down global warming at a cost of a billion dollars a year by flying 10 Gulfstream jets around the world, spraying 25,000 tons of liquid sulfur gas. The gas will condense into airborne particles that scatter sunlight and so reduce global warming. Keith argues such a project is technologically feasible, but is concerned, as he puts it, about the ethics of messing with nature. Well, the Chemtrails project appears to be dispersing tiny particles of barium, strontium, and aluminum, where an external source such as HARP can heat it up to create high-pressure areas, that drive away low-pressure weather that brings with it rain. The the drought over Southern California, which has endured for some 10 years, but now abating, uh, appears to have been so contrived, uh, turning our nation's most fertile agricultural reason into virtually a dusty desert. Outrageous. Here we have another. AP-exclusive pesticide maker tries to kill risk study the industry's request comes after EPA Administrator Strzok Pruitt announced last month he was reversing an Obama-era effort to bow the use of Dow's chlorifirus pesticide on food after recently peer-reviewed studies found that even tiny levels of exposure could hinder the development of children's brains. In his prior job as Oklahoma's Attorney General, Pruitt often allied himself in legal disputes with the interests of executives and corporations who supported his state campaign. 
He filed more than a dozen lawsuits seeking to overturn some of the same regulations he is now charged with enforcing. Well, this is another bizarre appointment by the Donald that suggests he may not be 100% on the side of the American people. And get this, stunning, stunning. Scientists find that babies who are given DTP vaccine are up to 10 times more likely to die. Research conducted by a team of Scandinavian scientists came to the startling conclusion regarding the DTP vaccine, which is supposed to protect children from diphtheria, uh, pertussis, and tetanus. Although they found that the vaccine can prevent those diseases, it also does so, it does so at a terrible cost. The research, which was partly funded by the Danish government, derives its data from a vaccination campaign conducted in the African nation of uh, Guinea-Bissau during the 1980s. Initially, the campaign offered parents the opportunity to have their babies weighed every three months. And in 1981, they started giving out DTP vaccines during these sessions because the babies were only allowed to be vaccinated at a certain age. Some were not vaccinated, which created the perfect control group. It turns out that the babies who were vaccinated had a mortality rate that was on average five times higher than the unvaccinated infants. The the vaccinated girls were 9.98 times more likely to die after being vaccinated and the boys were 3.93 times more likely to die. So you thought vaccines were only objectionable because they induce autism which has been proliferating at a staggering rate in correlation with the widespread use of vaccines. Well, this study suggests it's even worse. The control of the mainstream media, of course, has been stunning, uh, just as uh, Perloff reported. Media praises Trump for ordering missile attack on Syrian air base. Uh, MSNBC's Kristen Walker, Trump has turned the page on his rocky start with response to Syria. Uh, We have the Washington Free Press, Beacons, Matthews, Continenti. Trump demonstrated, detonated a few shibboleths of his predecessor's foreign policy. The Weekly Standard's Elliot Abrams, the Trump administration can truly be said to have started only now. Former Defense Secretary William Cohen, the American people want him to act as he did last night. Frequent dressed, uh, Fox frequent guest Carl Higby. This was Donald Trump's first test and he absolutely nailed it. Much more, which of course reflects the fact that the mainstream media has far deviated from its role in reporting the news to working as an advocate for specific policies in attempting to manipulate and manage the administration. Uh, This is not democracy at work. This is media meddling in our lives, warping our democracy. And now we have the U.S. imposing sanctions on the Syrian government workers after the sarin attack which is absurd since there was no sarin attack and the Syrian government had nothing to do with it. Israel, Assad has up to three tons tons of chemical weapons. Well, that's ironic. The the Mossad, of course, operates make war by deception. It's the greatest practitioner of false flag attacks in the world. And, of course, ironically, though the American people are never reminded of this, Uh, Israel has a vast stockpile of undeclared weapons of mass destruction, including nuclear, chemical, and biological. According to U.S. foreign policy guidelines, we're not allowed to provide foreign aid at taxpayer expense to any nation with undeclared weapons of mass destruction. Israel, however, 
is the exception. Look at this. ISIS once apologized to Israel for attacking IDF soldiers, according to the former defense minister. They apologized to Israel for attacking Israeli Defense Force soldiers. France claims it has proof Assad was behind chemical weapons attack. If you want to talk about vanning fake news, these are stories that deserve to be banned. France claims it has proof Assad was behind chemical weapons attack. Fake news. Here's a nice one, uh, a reminder. As U.S. bombs Syria, Americans forget the government used chemical weapons to kill children in Texas. Americans are up in arms over the alleged gas attack in Syria. Although there was no investigation, many high-profile individuals have called it a sham. The U.S. has pinned the blame on Syrian President Bashir al-Assad, so we thought it would be a good idea to remind our fellow Americans of an occasion where the federal government got away with gassing its own people, an action which consequently led to the deaths of 86 men, women, and children. Our source material comes from the SBI's own vault, which contains two files on the case against Vernon Howell, also named as David Korish. Korish was the leader of the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, according to FBI case files. Korish was believed to have been holding people against their will at his compound in Waco, Texas, potentially guilty of involuntary servitude and slavery charges. Look at how reminiscent that is of the claims, for example, that that Saddam Hussein was abusing his people, that, that Muammar Gaddafi was abusing his, that Bashir al-Assad is abusing him. The Gaddafi case is particularly stunning because Gaddafi had created a, a, the most humane society on the face of Earth, national health care, national public education, federal warehouses, national warehouses, stock with food. Anyone who was hungry could get all they wanted. If you had a health problem that couldn't be dealt with in Libya, you'd be flown all expense paid. A government expense with a friend or relative to a nation where it could be dealt with. He was also introducing the gold dinar, which would have rapidly become the currency of all of Africa, and the Great Waterworks Project, which would have turned North Africa into a veritable oasis. We know what happened to Gaddafi. Under the instruction of Hillary Clinton, NATO launched a vast attack, and we know now why, because Western banking interests read that Rothschild bankers were upset with the introduction of the gold dinar. I recall when the first report about Syria was that the rebel group had founded a new central bank. It was obvious to me that things were not as they were as portrayed as being. And in other WikiLeaks releases, we learned that France was upset uh, because Gaddafi's influence was growing and theirs was waning. They wanted to preserve Africa as their own neo-colonial preserve. We know, too, that Gaddafi put up no fight, actually surrendered, was heading to a location specified by the Department of State under a white flag of surrender when Hillary had his convoy interdicted, had, uh, had, had Gaddafi brutally murdered, castrated, and sodomized, about which she would later cackle. Paraphrasing Julius Caesar in relation to the Gallic Wars, I came, I saw, I conquered, Hillary said. We came, we saw, he died. Uh, this was a terrible person, a, a, a sadistic person, uh, an evil person, and it's a good thing she was not elected president. The problem becomes that, uh, as one wit has put it, we may have our first transgender president now because Donald Trump appears to have morphed into Hillary Clinton. In 1992, 
Uh, returning to Waco, Child Protective Services was called in to investigate the accusations. After a thorough investigation, CPS concluded no one was being held at the compound against their will, nor any child abuse. And the federal prosecutors who reviewed this report saw no reason to prosecute Korish. On October 16, 1992, the FBI closed the case against Korish and the allegations he was abusing children and holding his followers against their will. Still, however... The FBI proceeded with investigating other allegations the branch Davidians had con- that the branch Convidians had converted semi-automatic AR-15 assault rifles into fully automatic, a violation of federal law. Also alleged was a group was playing a mass suicide. The FBI concluded no information has been developed to, to verify the accuracy of these allegations. Still, the FBI put local law enforcement on notice, and we all know that Janet Reno. Uh, protesting later, very much against her will, was ordered to conduct an assault. I have watched the video evidence. Uh, FBI were firing automatic weapons into the compound. Uh, There was a tank with a flame floor attachment that put the whole compound on fire. And 89 men, women, and children burned to death consequently. The whole thing appears to have been motivated politically, where Hillary Clinton was upset that Waco was gaining so much attention, uh, being drawn away from her health care proposals. So she used Vince Foster and Webster Hubble to pressure Janet Reno to take this action, which was catastrophic. Uh, we also know, by the way, that there appears to have been a Kushner coup within the Trump White House. This is very stunning. Uh, here, here's a conclusion about it from State of the Nation. Everything has changed. With such an egregious and indisputable war crime committed against Syria hanging over his head for the next four years, Trump is toast. He killed his presidency with one fatal blunder and exceedingly reckless mistake. Talking about the launching of the 60 cruise missiles, one went into the water of the 59, 23 hit, and the other 36 went astray or were taken out by the Russians. No matter what Trump does from this point forward, he has proven himself to be a pathological liar who cannot be trusted. He has likewise staffed his administration with serial prevaricators. Trump's blind trust to judgment without any factual evidence whatsoever reveals him to be without conscience and devoid of common sense. Given this unfortunate state of affairs, the American people are effectively leaderless once again. In the ensuing chaos, the nation is being stampeded into more foreign wars on behalf of Israel. Trump has been relegated to nothing more than a puny pitchman for the Greater Israel Project, and his prominently positioned son-in-law is but a net messenger boy relaying the orders from Tel Aviv. So, which news is the real news? Which news is the fake? Mind you, you're not going to get the truth from the mainstream media, and Google is going to do everything it can to ensure that you never do. This is Jim Fetzer, the Conspiracy Guy. Thank you for listening. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, proved that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. 
There was a rehearsal on the 13th, going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you're interested in the book described by Dr. James H. Fetzer, then contact me. My name is Gary King. I live in New Orleans, and my number is 504-298-6791 if you'd like to come by the bookstore, or you can go online at patriotradiobooks.com. That's patriotradiobooks.com.